church, good morning. We just sang a song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Are you joyful this morning? That was very interesting. That was a very interesting response. This is a side note, maybe. Um, Sometimes when we sing songs and praise and worship to Jesus, like sometimes my heart just isn't there. And I'm constantly in check as the Spirit's like tapping me, reminding me, um, this time is for Jesus. This time is for him. And when I'm not, what I don't want to do is sing lies to him. Like I know that this is supposed to be me. I'm not there right now. So maybe you're not joyful today. And that's, and that's okay. I want to give you a reason to be joyful, though, today. If you've got a Bible with you, open up to Psalm 66. Psalm 66, we're going to read the entirety of it, all 20 verses this morning. Who, who did their, their, their reading and breathing exercises today? getting ready to read all of this together. And the whole church said amen. My personality lends itself. I like, I like joy, I like happy, I like energy, I like excitement, I like novel and new. And one of the most, um, what can we say? One of the most exciting My wife isn't here right now. My children aren't here right now. Don't tell my wife this, okay? All right? I love all of my children equally. Um, I was very excited when I learned that Leisha was uh, pregnant with Lillian. I love my Lillian. Lillian is perhaps most like me out of all of my children. She is very, very loud and very, very happy. And Miriam, I was very excited um, when Leisha told me that she was pregnant with Miriam. Um, She is by far the chillest baby that we've had. But when Leisha told me that she was pregnant with Emery, I've never experienced that before. It was 3 a.m. I woke up, she's coming in from the bathroom as people might do some days, right? And she's just talking to me, which was just really weird because I'm asleep at 3 a.m. And she starts talking about how, I, how she wants ice cream. And then baby wants ice cream. And then I shoot right up out of bed. What? what? And she shows me this stick that says that she's pregnant and all this other stuff. And like, I can't go back to bed. I'm up for the entire day. Like this is, that's one of the most joyful experiences I've ever had in my entire life. I'm, I'm right now a dad. I can't see my baby yet. He's, he's growing, but like, I'm a dad now. There's so many reasons why people have so, like there's so many reasons why people can be excited and happy. I'm learning that people are way more excited when their favorite baseball team wins rather than loses. 
We enter a time now where it's the holidays, if not ambivalent, sometimes they're just really difficult for people. And for some of us, we can be joyful about a lot of good things, but perhaps not the most important thing. And so I'll give you the application up front. If you're taking notes, I want you to be vocal, be loud. You don't have to be loud like me. I'm not saying that. I want you to be loud like you. I want you to talk and sing Maybe scream, celebrate, celebrate this Christmas about what God has done. And the psalmist, the writer from this psalm, Psalm 66, he gives us three reasons why. Why should we be vocal about Christmas this year? Tim, Psalm 66, this isn't about Christmas. We're applying it specifically to this season and every other season of life. When you don't want to be joyful or vocal or loud, the psalmist is giving you reason to do so and not to sing lies, but to sing truth and then inform your heart to catch up to the truth of God's word. So if you're able to this morning, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? Psalm 66 Starting in verse one, this is what God says to us this morning. To the choir master, a song, a psalm. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your, your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, and yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come in here. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise, or heavy praise, was on my tongue. 
And if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is God's word to us this morning for Advent. You can be seated. You hear all this language throughout the psalm. Come and sing. Come and see. The psalm, the psalmist, in every word of the psalms, is a call to action. And this specific psalm is a call to be vocal and loud and celebratory and speak and sing about what God has done. Are you vocal and loud and celebratory and do you sing about what God has done? He tells us why, he gives us three reasons why. The first one is, if you're taking notes, it's so that the nations can sing along with you. There's an evangelistic bent in this Psalm. The psalm, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a little weird. It's, it's, it's dual genre. So in the psalms, there are about eight or nine different genres, depending upon who you ask. They have a specific intent. This one is both, a, it, it's a hymn of praise. It's, it's worship to Jesus or to Yahweh. And it's also a psalm of thanksgiving. He's telling God, these are all the reasons why I'm thankful for you because of all the stuff that you've done and because of who you are. Do you remember that song, I Swear, back in the 90s? Where it was like on two different, um, two different lists, like country and R&B, because two different people were singing that song. Like this, this psalm right here is on the top charts in a couple of different genres, okay? You following me? And so this first section, one through four, he uses five different words here to describe the, the kind of action that the, that, that the nation should be giving to God. Shout for joy, sing to the glory of his name, give him glorious praise, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Worship him and sing praises to him. It's not just activity that's directed towards God. It's, it's not flippant and it's not pretentious either. It's, it's rightly weighed according to his character and what he's done. So he's literally saying shout out of pleasure of who he is. It's a bit of an undignified behavior that comes from worshiping Jesus some days. Not all the time. We should be structured and orderly. But celebration isn't always clean and nice and tidy, is it? You ever picked up after a party? Some other parties that might be a little messy? So shout for Pleasure, sing for the glory and majesty of his name. Place proper praise, literally, we would say, in the palm of his hand. 
and say to God that you are awesome. What an interesting word that he wants to use here. He chooses this word. When you look through the Old Testament, you see all of these words like fearful or terror or even dread. And this word that he uses, awesome, should literally be translated as fearful. And that might be a bit offensive to some of us. What do you mean that I should be fearful of God? It, the way that I look and respond to God should be in between the space of respect and dread. It's not dreading who he is, but it's not just respecting the fact that he's way more powerful than you and I. To fear him should say that I depend upon him. I don't fear him and obey him because if I transgress his law, there are massive consequences. When I go against the way that he designed me in the world that I live in, that he made, that he owns and has ultimate claim over, when I do something that's against his design, things break and that brings consequence and judgment into the world. I leave the path that he set before me or I deviate, it brings destruction. And I can't sing, I can't walk, I can't talk without his say-so, without what he lays before us. And so to fear him should read depend upon him like you depend upon oxygen in this room. How terrifying would it be if all the air was sucked out of this place for a moment? How much would we gasp for our next breath? I need you to fill this room today, God. I need you to order my steps today, God. I need you to provide for my needs, God. I need my daily bread to come from you, God. And without you intervening and supplying and acting out of your good and love for me, I'm lost. How awesome are his deeds. And it's his awesome deeds or fearful acts. They bring a result, don't they? Do you see that in the next verse? Verse three, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing before you. It literally means that they get lean. They start to evaporate. They start to melt in front of God's power and how God provides for his people and cares and tends for them. Are the God's awesome nature and awesome, fearful acts bring perspective for people or it brings pressure to their lives? The inflated ego is flattened by God's massive kilometric weight, the weight of his glory. 
It's not so with the humble. They're protected by a shadow. They're protected by by him covering them. The broken find healing within his presence and the outcast finds welcome in his home and in his house. And so we sing. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you and they sing praises to your name. Do you know what that word sing means literally in Hebrew? It means sing. God is saying, shout for joy, all the earth, sing to him, give glory to him, say to God how awesome are his deeds. It it should be, verse four, it should read more in the future tense, not just present, that there's a result that comes when we give praise to God as we do. Other people are going to respond and worship to him as well. To sing to him so the nations might sing to him. Then what are the nations, the enemies, these enemies that are talked about in this passage? What's the earth going to sing about? What would God want them to sing about? What would that song sound like? What is it that's going to bring the most joy and satisfaction to people sitting in here today? What is it that's going to bring the most glory to his name? What's a song that they can sing that would talk about how awesome he is? Maybe a better question should be, what is it that Yahweh wants to be known for? Just recently, Taylor Swift, are there any Taylor Swift fans? That's probably not a bad, uh uh-oh. We'll talk after, Dottie. Taylor Swift, like her or lumper, you know, it's, um, she's, she's apparently like the person of the year according to Time magazine, right? Um, she has some influence. I'm not, I'm not advocating for her, but what is she known for? Yeah. <laughs> yep. She has an entire discography talking about these dysfunctional relationships that she's had, right? Did you know, though, that she also, as a singer-songwriter, writes songs for other people to perform? She's made money off of this. Were you aware of that? I didn't know that until just recently. Because that's not what she's known for. She's known for album after album after album of breakup songs. What does God want to be known for? What should he be known for? Because there are tons of songs throughout the Bible that talk about his character and his goodness. You go to Exodus 15, Moses sings a song to God. Do you know what it's titled? The Lord is a warrior and the Lord is his name. He sings it right after the exodus. God saves his people. God contends for his people. Or you go to Psalm 148. It's one of the hallelujah psalms. 
It starts from the very, very tippy top of creation in the heavens where the stars and the sky and the angelic host, they're all singing to God and it comes all the way down to people like you and me singing about him. Praise the Lord for his name is exalted. I think one of the songs that he is most known for though comes from a virgin girl who's about to give birth to Messiah. Luke 2, the Magnificat. She hears from the angel about a miraculous birth and she starts to sing to the Lord. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's helped Israel. He's remembered mercy and his mercy is for those who fear him. Who don't dread him, but don't just respect him as creator, but rather they depend upon him for their very life. You should be vocal. Not just in church with a whole bunch of amens. I'm not talking that. I'm talking about being vocal to friends and family and maybe with other people that are in here, but just outside of here. Having conversations with them, encouraging them, challenging them. Being vocal this Christmas about what God has done so that other people can sing about him too. What is it that God is most known for? What should he be most known for? Until we deal with the reality of how awful sin is or the reality of hell, the reality of brokenness and fallenness or the reality of death and loss, the reality of shame and guilt and fear that we experience in this life, but oppression and pain. We won't have a healthy appreciation for the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus' arrival isn't just cute. It's a courageous story about God who is omnipotent becoming a baby to rescue the world. It's not just nice and quaint. It's absolutely necessary for the good of your soul. For the soul of the nations and for the world. And we want them to sing at the top of their lungs that Jesus is also Lord, but he is also worthy as the lamb who was slain. We want the nations to sing. We also want the redeemed to see. We want you to see we're vocal about what God has done so that you can see rightly about what he thinks about you and who he says that you are and how cherished you are. The, 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 the Greek Old Testament, the, the Septuagint, you have Hebrew, everything's written down in it by and large, and then you've got a, a group of 
of Hebrew scholars later on that would translate this into Greek for, for accessibility. They would call this psalm the psalm of resurrection. Scan through the, the, the passage again. Do you see resurrection anywhere in here? I'll give you five seconds. Maybe. Maybe you could see something like it. It's telling the story of how God rescues Israel, isn't it? The psalmist who's hundreds of years removed from the Exodus event after the temple is built, he's telling these people what? Come and see what God has done. Come and see how he's cared for Israel. Come and see how he's carried Israel out of slavery. Come and see how he let them cross across dry land. Come and see how these peoples have been provided for and even tested and tried. Come and see how, though. Why would we need to come and see, why would they have had need to come and see? Because sometimes, sometimes we live so much in the future that we forget the past. Sometimes the pain of the present doesn't lend itself easily for us to remember all of God's good promises that he's made to us. And our vision is not always clear. Sometimes we lose our way. When, when we trust Jesus and, and want to follow Jesus faithfully, Jesus doesn't give us an autopilot option. Is following Jesus easy for anyone? When you read the New Testament, it doesn't seem to be all that easy. It's filled with conflict and strife and warring against Satan and the world and their own flesh, learning how to crucify their flesh. There's no autopilot option. We don't get, we do not get a Tesla. There's no spiritual Tesla for those that follow Jesus. What we get is a teacher. We get our teacher who guides us. And when we don't keep the most important things before us, our gaze gets pulled any which way. And whatever way we're looking, that's the direction that we end up going. How can we come and see then something that happened a long time ago, a long, long time ago, hundreds of years removed, right? The speaker is recounting the story of the Exodus that's housed in the law. He knows the story of how God rescued his people. It's etched on his heart. Every page of how God both called Moses and sent Moses and freed his people and how God led them into the promised land is written on every page of his heart. And he's telling them to look at the scriptures too. 
He pulls to the Old Testament. We would go to the New Testament. The Psalms recounted the law. We recount the scriptures and the good news of Jesus. In my early to mid-20s, this is one of the worst times of my life. I just moved back from Florida, and I was pretty burned. Church hurt is a real thing. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. It's not... Um, it's not to say that I didn't have responsibility, but people can actually sin against you. It's not a fun experience. When I moved back from Florida to Indiana, I was a broken and bitter boy. And I didn't want anything to do with Jesus or his people. And so for a year and a half, I lived like a reprobate. I lived like a jerk. I lived how I wanted to. And wouldn't you know it, like Jesus is so kind, I end up working at a cell phone company that's just mainly staffed by seminarians. I wanted to get away from this thing. And most of these guys that I'm working with are all training for ministry. You know how irritating that is when you're just wanting to pay bills and people just want to tell you about Jesus when you don't want to be around him? I was angry. I was frustrated. It paid the bills though. I guess I'll put up with this. It wasn't just their kindness though and faithfulness in befriending me and loving me. They were so patient with me and praying for me. but their language was so seasoned with scripture. And when we would get together, they would gently prod and push back towards scripture and remind me of who I was in Christ. What you don't know in all of this is even before all the church hurt, my own soul I neglected to care for myself. It wasn't just with prayer. I stopped reading the word and being immersed in it. Even before all the hurt and baggage starts to come, I left myself open and joy wanes and strength wanes. I was the lowest I've ever been as a follower of Jesus. It, it, I would be hard pressed to use that term, but Jesus would still claim me. The reason why I came back though is because of faithful brothers and sisters pointing me back and inviting me to see and come and see again what God has done. Like I'm here with a family because of their love for me in inviting me back to see again what God has done. And so we're to be vocal. We're to be loud or patient and gentle and pointing people back to the faithful scriptures that testify to God's power 
and God's faithfulness and fidelity, God's love for humanity, and God's desire to keep his word. We remind them of his goodness and his mighty acts. We remind them of his boldness and courage and grace. And we do that not just by pointing them to read the Bible, but also getting the Bible etched deep in us, on us. The story of salvation is so clear throughout this psalm. It just rolls off his tongue. He's fluent in it. But for you who were more like 20-something-year-old Tim, who would say joy has waned, strength has waned, desire to fight sin just ain't there anymore, who have a hard time singing aloud to him, I would tell you like my friend Spally told me, come and see. Come and see what God has done for you and be reminded again of Jesus' gentleness and kindness and sit with him, not in just reading a book that's black and white, but read the account, the full account of what God has done for you and me in his son, Jesus. We're loud for for those that are redeemed. We're loud and we tell people about the incarnation so that the nations can sing and rejoice. What's the final thing? The final thing is we're loud by sharing about our soul. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, how is your soul? I love asking that question and I kind of love the response that people give to me as well. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to answer that. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, no, how, how is your soul? We can answer things like, how's our back doing today? Let me tell you. But how is your soul? Bright and joyful and jovial Are you happy? Is it weighed down and crushed? C.S. Lewis said, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. This is where it pivots in verse 16. He says, come in here. You see the difference here? What he said in just verse five, he said, come and see. Come and see the written account. Come and see God's power on display. And now he says, his personal testimony, come and hear what God has done, specifically what he's done for my soul. What can I do, or rather, what can the word do that I can't do? What is it that God's written revelation can do that I'm not able to? God uses the spirit, excuse me, God the Spirit uses the word to change you and me. But the Spirit uses us as messengers of the word and as trophies of his grace. And he details, this is what it looks like to experience salvation 
on a personal level. He's modeling for us, not just being rescued, but if you are rescued, there is an appropriate response to the grace and love and mercy that we receive from, from God. He's modeling for us. And as his audience, both those that he wrote to and us today, we should follow suit. He, there, there are seven different things that he notes. He enters his house with offerings, sacrifices even. He performs vows. He promises to perform all the commitments that he makes. He actually gives over these offerings that he's already prepared to God. He makes them specifically out of bulls and goats. He's going to tell about what God has done. He actually recites how God has provided for him. He cried out to him and he even prayed to him. And if this is what it looks like to be rescued, if this is what it looks like to have a repentant heart, a changed heart, a sanctified heart, is this what you look like? Could you say, I want to come into the house of the Lord with burnt offerings. I want to not just give him small things, but I want to give him all things. I want to be faithful to him like he's been faithful to me. I don't want to cherish sin in my heart anymore. Instead, I want to treasure him. I know where my help comes from and I don't run to anyone or anything else. Instead, I cry out to him and praise is only reserved for him. Is this you? Has he given you peace that surpasses all understanding? Do you experience grace and comfort that can only be described as otherworldly? This is what God has done for the soul of a guy named Gregory of Nyssa. He's a really important theologian, pastor, figure in the fourth century. He helped us learn and think about faithfully the, the, the Trinity. He said this, sin, our nature demanded to be healed. Fallen, to be raised up, dead, to rise again. We'd lost the possession of the good. It was necessary for it to be given back to us. It was closed in darkness. It was necessary to bring us the light. Though captives, we awaited a savior. Though prisoners, we awaited help. Though slaves, we awaited a liberator. And are these things minor or insignificant? Did they not move God to descend to human nature and visit it since humanity was in such a miserable and unhappy state? Well, the incarnation of Jesus dispels the deepest loneliest darkness that we could ever experience. It promises liberation to people that are enslaved to sin, 
and death. And like the song that we sang just before we jumped into the word, Henry Van Dyke says that it fills us with the light of day. So we're met by the God-made flesh, Jesus, who receives us and loves us. He doesn't reject our prayer. He doesn't reject us. Instead, he welcomes us home. And he promises to be steadfast and loyal in his love to us forever. Will you be vocal this year? Will you tell people what God has done through his son, Jesus? The greatest event in human history. We don't get the cross without the incarnation. But God himself breaks into the story when it seems like all is lost. And then the light of the world comes. So that you can have joy. And so that the church is redeemed can experience joy forever and the nations can sing to him, joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory and Lord of love. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we love you because you first loved us. Would you help us today and every day be vocal and loud and, and, and talkative and communicate about the good news of Jesus. And I pray for those that are in here today that struggle with this passage too about your fearful deeds or may not be able to answer hard questions about how is your soul. Father, I pray that you would be near to them today. Come to you with humble posture believing that our next step is dependent upon you. Our next breath is dependent upon you. Jesus, we worship you ultimately because you came. We love you and we thank you for meeting with us. Father, we pray that your word would do its work. Amen.